it's easy to change the physical bricks and mortar of a GP practice or a build a new hospital than it is to change the IT system. That's terrible, well, honestly. <laughs> it's terrible that it's true. <laughs> the systems that we use are unfortunately not well designed. You said this in the nicest way possible. If this had been me talking, I would have just gone on for a whole rant. In terms like digital information technology, AI don't exist. Radiology does mention it. I would hope radiology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every clinical encounter has three actors, right? There's the healthcare professional, the patient and the computer. We are taught to think in a kind of linear way. So this is a very big question. How do we remove that barrier? <laughs> Where do we begin? We need to do this together. Outside of our small bubble, not everybody is bought into this yet. So we need to come with a collective voice and, and try to raise this as much as we can. By the time it happens, I don't know if there's going to be a new way of doing things. <laughs> you might be retired by then. Welcome to Health Beyond Tomorrow. Today I'm joined with Videya Sharma, who first and foremost, he is a surgeon working in Manchester. We first met a couple of weeks back at the Intelligent Health AI conference in London, and we got talking about the discrepancy in specifically digital health literacy amongst the workforce. He has a PhD in health informatics, and his research includes applying user-centric design principles in healthcare. And he is really shaping the future of digital health, and he's someone who's deeply passionate about integrating technology into the fabric of healthcare. So a couple of weeks back, he sent me a review, which was recently published by the NHS, evaluating the current landscape of digital health and shedding light specifically on key areas of digital progress around the NHS. So this review examines the potential, the barriers, the current standing and the future trajectory of digital literacy in healthcare. And I thought it'd be a really interesting discussion bringing Videa on the podcast and we could both dissect this review, talk about the key findings, address these barriers that they've identified to building a digital workforce and discuss the urgency of innovation beyond tomorrow. We're also going to evaluate the actionable recommendations within this review and explore what it truly means for the NHS to become a digitally literate workforce. We're here to foster an understanding and provoke ideas and envision a future where digital technology and skills are the heart of the NHS and just the norm. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I begin it by asking Videa to tell us a little bit about himself. As always, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and it would mean so much to me if you just give this podcast a follow on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts or YouTube. It just helps the channel to grow. So give us a like rating and share with as many friends as possible. Let's get into it. Thank you so much, Esh. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I've really enjoyed your previous episodes and I love the work that you're doing. It's really grateful uh, to come and speak to you. My career has been super linear. I'm like your model trainee. I went to medical school, went straight into F1, applied for core training straight away, passed all my exams first time, got onto a, a specialty training program. So I'm training in general surgery and more specifically transplant surgery. It's super rewarding. Being able to contribute to organ donation and transplantation is absolute privilege. But at the same time, somewhere in the back of my mind, this kind of realization that I wanted to do things perhaps at a more system-wide or a bigger scale, I decided to consciously take a pause and take some time out to do a PhD. And thinking back about it, super serendipitous. I know people that kind of work in digital health will often say things like, I always loved technology when I was growing up or used to code in high school or whatever. So I'm totally not like that. Uh, I My friends make fun of me. I've still got this really old iPhone. I still love Touch ID. <laughs> and my friends are like, when are you going to get rid of that toy phone and all that kind of stuff? So I'm not like 
super passionate about technology in the respects to wanting to have the latest gadgets or whatever. But I do love thinking about people and about their behavior and about how potentially technology has an impact on how we deliver care, how we interact with patients, how we can make things more efficient, how we can um, use data to drive better insights and, and make more personalized care decisions. So there was something around technology and its application that I found really attractive. So I took a pause and did a PhD in health informatics, which was, yeah, that was a real pivotal moment for me because I realized, gosh, there is this whole world outside the hospital where there are people with amazing skills, expertise, who want to contribute to healthcare, want to contribute to make things better, to improve care, improve outcomes, improve the experience of care for patients, but they're not doctors or nurses or physios. That was reflecting back probably my naivety or ignorance that didn't quite appreciate this whole sector of people that are work in healthcare, but don't deliver direct care and how passionate they are about it. And since then I've continued on that path really. So during my PhD, I did something called a Topple Digital Health Fellowship, which we can talk a little bit more about later on. We talk about how potentially other people within the healthcare workforce may get more digital skills, which is a really important topic. And then subsequently, I was selected for something called the National Medical Directors Fellowship. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm working in NHS England, I'm in the Transformation Directorate, working on national digital health projects and trying to think about policy and, and strategy setting, which is, again, a whole new world for me. Great. I'm excited for you. It sounds like you're doing a lot of things and they all sound extremely exciting. You raise up your phone there and it's like an iPhone, what, 5, 6? <laughs> and I, I would probably say I'm the complete opposite. I always have the new tech gadgets. Most people spend their money on going out, buying clothes. I'll spend it on like buying a new microphone. <laughs> so I'm excited to get into this conversation because this review that was released by the NHS, it was a re review on digital tech and skills specifically in the healthcare education sector. And I wanted to read specifically the foreword of Patrick Mitchell, who's the Director of Innovation, Digital and Transformation at NHS England. And effectively, he said that the report provides an overview of how digital health and education and skills is being delivered by academic and clinical educators and the technology is being utilized. It highlights examples of good practice, but also the inconsistencies in provision and inequality in access to innovative technologies, digital health education and digital skills development. The benefits are clear, but not without challenges that must be addressed. So I think that segment, that paragraph summarizes pretty well what we're going to be discussing in this talk and this podcast. So to begin with, my first question is in this review, the term digital literacy is literally thrown out like hundreds of times. What does it mean to be digitally literate? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think there's probably two parts to answer that question. So there'll be like a textbook definition for digital literacy, which revolves around capabilities to be able to use technology in a way that's meaningful and that's adopted at scale. So there'll be something around that. But I think more specifically, when people talk about the healthcare sector, um, people are expected, particularly earlier career healthcare professionals, so people that are in in medical school now or junior doctors, that they're going to be digitally literate, right? If we do order our shopping online, do our banking online, that surely that's like not an issue. As soon as you hit the, the shop floor, as soon as you hit the ward, you're going to be able to log into the electronic patient record and to order medicines or do whatever it is that you need to do to deliver care. And the reality is that it couldn't be farther from the truth, right? Because, because the systems that we use in healthcare are inherently more complex. Healthcare in and of itself is a, is a complex 
endeavor, right? So we can't expect just because you can go on TikTok or whatever and look at videos that you're also able to order a chest X-ray for a patient who's come in who's acutely unwell and the chest X-ray needs to be um, uh, come to the ward instead of going the patient going out down to the department or whatever, right? There's lots of like far greater complexity, far more difficult decision making that comes into using tech on a daily basis. I don't think people always necessarily appreciate that. Also, the other thing to say is that technology in healthcare is only one part of how care is delivered. Though you might have someone who is digitally awesomely literate, you've maybe given your own example, you love tech, you're really into it, you're always up to date, but using technology is only a small part of being a healthcare professional. It's a bigger, increasingly bigger part. So absolutely, there's lots of importance on being digitally literate or digitally savvy, but it is still only a part of it. Even if you need to access the electronic health records, look at a patient's past medical history or medication list or whatever, that's still only part of the whole encounter that you have with that patient, right? You still go to speak to them, you need to examine them, you need to know what, you need to apply your knowledge to understand what testing you need to order for them and all the rest of it. So I think there's something around the context of healthcare, which is inherently different to other areas of our life, which means that digital literacy does not necessarily translate one-on-one. Yeah. And then the other piece that I think is important to think about, and this is not necessarily in our control, maybe a little bit as healthcare professionals, but the systems that we use are unfortunately not well, always well designed. So we love using our phone, you know, they, they grab our attention, they hold our attention, even when we sometimes don't want to, but that's because they are designed with our experience in mind, right? They want, the designers of those systems want to grab our attention, they want to give us a good experience, and they do, which is why we keep going back to our phone, we go keep going back to our apps or whatever. Health IT is not like that. And that's a real, that's a real shame, that's a huge gap. So there's an interesting study by colleagues in the US um, from 2015, where they looked at 11 of the largest like electronic health record vendors um, in the US. And these are all the way up from multi-billion dollar companies to um, maybe slightly smaller, smaller medium enterprises that deliver health IT software. And out of these 11, only four had any kind of user experience teams as part of their business. Which when you think about it, if you're a software company and health IT company in any other field, That'd be unheard of, right? User design yeah. is is at the heart of of developing contemporary uh, digital solutions. So the fact that health IT hasn't prioritized that is a real shame, and that's also why even if you might be very digitally literate, you go onto a health IT system, you're like, wait a minute, this makes no sense. I make, how do I even use this? You said this in the nicest way possible. If this has been me talking about the IT systems that we've been expected just to know how to use, I would have just gone on for a whole rant, but you said this in such a nice way. <laughs> and that's maybe because what the, I guess one of the things to think about is for people like you or like me, who obviously are able to sit in two camps, sit in that kind of healthcare professional and that technology camp, is it maybe part of our responsibility to say and voice this to say, hey, we should be designing these things better, not only from a user experience perspective, but also from a clinical safety perspective, right? These things are used to deliver care and they're supposed to make patients' lives better. They're supposed to improve the safety and effectiveness of healthcare. And if they're not doing that, that's, that's unacceptable, really. I guess there's a couple of reasons why I'm, I'm passionate about that. Yeah. It's great because we came off an amazing um, event at Intelligent Health where 
it, it was just buzzing. Everyone was so chatty. It was all about AI, obviously. And everyone was so excited about it. But believe it or not, outside of that room, beyond the car park, let's say, amongst just a normal cohort of medical students or junior doctors, it's not being spoken about. And I raised this in a, the panel discussion, which was hosted by uh, Dr. Indra Josh, Joshi as well, and about the fact that there isn't much education around these terms. And partially it is maybe to do with the fact that being a younger generation with stuff like ChatGPT coming into mainstream news, we're expected just to understand it already. And this was pretty much shown in the study that the review that was published, so it pretty much showed that there was a big assumption that people, particularly younger students, possessed, they just naturally possessed digital literacy. And this is far from the truth. So I guess the, the follow-up question from that is, like, how, how do we rectify this narrative? How do we change that approach? So then once we're beyond that approach, we can start actually educating the younger workforce. Yeah, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right that there is a, a disconnect between what perhaps educators or people that are setting curricula expect compared to what the learners or uh, people in training actually know or need to know to be able to deliver their care. I think one of the interesting perhaps sad facts, is that if today we go and look up the postgraduate curricula for most of medical and surgical specialties, if you're listening to this, you can feel free to go on any of the postgraduate curricula. Terms like digital, information technology, AI don't exist. The foundation program, thankfully, has included something about, there is one single line about the importance of IT as part of clinical services but GP curriculum, the general medical curriculum, specialty curricula like nephrology, cardiology do not mention it, surgical curricula don't mention it, radiology does mention it, again, in the context of AI. I would hope, I'd hope radiology mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still shocking, honestly, yeah. that all these other specialties don't, but I would hope that radiology did mention yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And radiology, obviously, is essentially a technology-based specialty, right? So that, as you say, makes sense. But even then, Nobody really talks about some of these more fundamental kind of digital skills around design, about human computer interaction, about how do you behave in the context of technology. So one of the things that I think is really important that we do not teach our medical students or nursing colleagues or physiotherapy colleagues about at all is that now every clinical encounter has three actors, right? There's the healthcare professional, the patient, and the computer. That's always the three people in the room, if you like, of three actors in the room but we don't ever really teach our students how to behave in the context of that computer and you know you or me as a patient may have experienced this and i'm sure many people that are listening to this will have experienced this when they go and see a healthcare professional the healthcare professional is having a relationship with their computer as opposed to their patient because they're typing notes or they're looking at their screen or whatever and that has a negative effect on on the experience that person is receiving so that's something that we don't talk about we don't teach and is a real shame how do we rectify that? Yeah, really good question. I wonder whether a lot of this or some of this has to do with realizing that it isn't really about technology or gadgets or maybe even necessarily innovation. It's very much about our behaviors, about our basic digital literacy as opposed to more advanced digital literacy. One of the one of the things that I've thought about as, as I've progressed along my digital health career is as healthcare professionals, what we're taught a lot of, and, and I'm sure you can 
uh, vouch for this is we get to talk and we get to we are taught to think in a kind of linear way. As soon as the patient walks in the room, what's their skin color? Have they got any nail changes? And were they using a walking stick? And all of that information, we're immediately trying to go from like this list of diagnoses as quickly as possible to a narrow conclusion. It could be these one or two or three things. What are we going to, what's the management plan? What's the treatment? How are, they going to be, how are we going to discharge them? It's a real linear way of thinking. And that's fine. We need to think like that as healthcare professionals when you're delivering care. That's the right way to think. That's the right way to solve problems. But when it comes to implementing change at a larger scale, especially digital, digitally driven change, that kind of approach to thinking does, doesn't work. You need to have a far broader way of thinking and asking questions, which we do not always do. We ask questions, we always ask questions with an expectation that they're going to lead to a particular diagnosis as opposed to asking questions just to see what happens, right? We don't do that at all. And when you're trying to solve yeah. these more complex problems or when you're trying to upskill a workforce and using digital into practice and implementing digital tools, you need to have that kind of mindset. Okay, we've got this problem. There's a delay in people being discharged from A&E. Let's not jump to a solution like we need to hire more doctors, we need to hire more nurses or whatever. Let's take a step back and say, okay, what exactly is the problem here? Let's go broad. Let's speak to the people that are affected. Let's speak to some patients. Let's speak to the nurse. Let's speak to the ward clerk. Let's try to really understand this problem and work this out together. And we don't teach that. We don't even teach that way of thinking, which I think is the first place to start before we even get down to the kind of technology and stuff. I saw a quote. I don't remember who said it, but it was around the health technology of today is actually just healthcare of tomorrow. So you just drop the, the word tech, it's going to be health tomorrow, <laughs> um, which I found was interesting because I don't think the universities look at it like that. So I'm currently struggling, fighting an uphill battle just to incorporate some kind of educational module around the use of ChatGPT, specifically in medical education and how medical students can be leveraging it to basically just make their revision life just 10 times more productive. And with that fight with the university of just trying to make that so, like that module I was thinking to myself that's something that should be in integrated throughout the whole course rather than one specific module and that narrative needs to change that you know what oh yeah health technology is a buzzword health tech is a buzzword and it's its own small sector of healthcare broadly actually we should start looking at it as health technology is just healthcare right because it's being used every day in clinical practice I don't know what are your thoughts on that yeah absolutely couldn't agree more you, you speak complete to my heart this is exactly what I regularly say that technology enhances every aspect of, of clinical care today. So how it is not part of every part of the curriculum. And I think this is one of the kind of suggestions that I've made. So I've similarly had uphill battles with medical school leaderships to try to integrate digital health or these kind of topics, informatics-based topics into the curricula. And this is exactly the approach that I So this shouldn't be a module on its own. You should use the different, we could use the different modules that are already being taught. So if, say, somebody's on a general medical or a cardiology block, you could use that block to talk about clinical decision support systems and risk predictive algorithms, because that's common in cardiology. If you've got a psych block, you could talk about human-computer interaction in the context of being present for the patient. So you could incorporate this as part of different elements of your existing curricula. Uh, I thought that was a great idea, obviously, but, but it wasn't, it's not been received well so far. And I think that's because what we've already been talking about, there still needs to be that shift amongst medical educators and leaders to realize, as you're saying, that health technology isn't really a thing. It's just healthcare. Technology is inherently part of healthcare.
it'd be easier to move one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is in the context of electronic patient records and stuff, is that it's easy to change the physical bricks and mortar of a GP practice or build a new hospital than it is to change the IT system. The IT system is more for fixed and more used day to day. That's terrible, well, honestly. Yeah. It's terrible that it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? So how do we not prioritize prioritizing that? Yeah. And in this review, they spoke about obviously building a digital workforce. And this is what the whole premise of the, of the review was about. And it was evidence that the main barrier is this resistance to change that we're discussing. So this is a very big question. How do we remove that barrier? <laughs> Where do we begin? Yeah, good question. And uh, listen, I, you know, I'd love to shine a bit more of a positive light on this now, because I do think that there has been some change, some positive change. So there are a number of programs and academies that have been set up that are trying to uh, drive this agenda forward. So we already mentioned the Topple Fellowship, there's the Digital Health Academy, there's a number of other digital health programs up and down the country, as well as in, in all the four nations as well. So I think that's really good. And part of it is going to be time. So as this generation, I guess, of people like yourselves or myself grow in our career, we get into those leadership positions. Hopefully we'll reflect upon our own journeys and prioritize that more as opposed to the leaders that are in those positions today who perhaps haven't had exposure to digital health training ever. They, you know, they, and now you've got people like you and me coming up to say to them, oh, digital super important. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Whereas if with time you get other people in into leadership positions that have had that journey, do have themselves those skills and expertise, then hopefully we'll start to see some of that change. So I think that's a, certainly a positive that I see happening around me. And together with that, as part of our conversation and for whoever is listening, will inherently have an interest in this field. We need to do this together. So the fact that you're doing this podcast, you're raising awareness, that's a great start. And I'd love for more people like yourselves and myself to join together and, and continue to make this a priority and speak to the people that are involved. And those are the, the kinds of people, I think we talked about this at Intelligent Health. Are these the Royal Colleges? Is this maybe the GMC that needs, does this need to be part of good medical practice? Are these universities? Who are the key stakeholders that we need to be engaging with? Because as you said, outside of our small bubble, not everybody is bought into this yet. So we need to come with a collective voice and, and try to raise this as much as we can. I just hope we aren't waiting for another pandemic to happen to accelerate digital innovation. There was a term that was used in the review, digital poverty being a hurdle also. And there was interlinks, there's a, a huge relationship with digital poverty and the social economic conditions of where someone is brought up or where someone goes to university. So it'd be interesting to explore how that's also impacting people's learning experiences and maybe suggest we could uh, bring up some ways where we can mitigate that and uh, how I guess someone who doesn't have the best resources but can still learn about digital health. Yeah, really good question. It's frustrating, but obviously fundamentally true fact there is significant inequity in our society and medical school, medical schools, for example, do not necessarily change that inequity because, as you will know, a large proportion of admissions to, to medical schools are still more likely to be from particular socioeconomic backgrounds and, and all the rest of it. So that kind of diversity of socioeconomic status is not represented in our educational institutions. And that's a fundamental challenge of society more globally, um, even beyond healthcare. How do we try to mitigate some of the risks for those who may have not similar resources or not have access to 
to technology in the same way that others do. That's a really difficult one. I think a big part of it really needs to be that kind of collective voice to say how this is a really important topic um, and for the institutions, so that's academic institutions, employers as well, to make these things available for their staff uh, or for their students. I think it's just a particularly difficult time at the moment, as we all know, significant economic challenges. So getting people in leadership positions to commit to programs like this, to drive up equity, particularly when it comes to capital investment, is just really difficult right now. So we need to be creative with that. So things like cooperatives, things like libraries, where we're able to democratize some of that technology, some of those solutions for people to access that otherwise may not have the opportunity is probably going to be the most realistic way in the near future to be able to do that. But it's a really difficult challenge and one that I, yeah, get quite sad or frustrated about when I think about it. And this is also in the context of, this is obviously in the context of kind of education and students, all the rest of it, but it's also in the context of the wider public, right? So when we try to implement digital health tools, there's a significant risk that we're going to widen health inequities because some people have access to apps or solutions and tools, but others don't. So how do we try to do that in an equitable way? And that's very much about design. It's very much about thinking, what's the problem that I'm trying to solve? What's the best way of doing it in a way that doesn't widen that inequality? Um, and a lot of that will then come down to, do we have to give a group of people a mobile phone as part of this intervention? So yeah, so those are the kinds of things that, that we can do, but it's, it's a really tough challenge. So I'm, I was president of the MedTech Society in Nottingham last year, and we did a really simple proof of concept where we just wanted to create a transition, one of our talks from Zoom onto a metaverse platform called Spatial, because we thought it would be a bit more immersive, a bit more interesting, rather than just the traditional seeing everyone's face on Zoom. And we trialed it, and we, what we realized is, you know what, there were certain people with probably people like you who had phones that were below a certain grade like iphone 6 and below their phones just kept crashing and they couldn't join it and so stuff like that i guess it, it is an issue when technology is advancing but some people can't genuinely afford to be splashing out buying the latest phone every however often and i guess the same also just in general goes for for example uh, remote examinations some software that the university of nottingham uses i know a lot of my uh, friends and housemates their laptops can't keep up with it their laptops literally will turn into an airplane engine and then just crash so stuff like that it is sad it's difficult because then that i guess complaints from those students will then revert the university to go back to old school methods of teaching and it's finding that balance so in terms of other barriers what what have you seen over there in terms of building a digital workforce where are we lacking do you think yeah so i think one of the things that we perhaps could do better at is to talk about the digital change in healthcare and digital transformation to talk about the things beyond technology so digital transformation the mantra of digital transformation typically is people process the technology and there's always a natural excitement to talk about the technology to talk about uh, the new innovation, the new uh, latest gadget that's coming out, but actually really having impactful change revolves primarily around understanding the people that you're hoping to impact and the processes that you need to adapt or um, change or introduce the technology into. And I think that would be the piece that we um, would do good to, that would be good to, to teach our workforce about, that digital transformation or technology transformation isn't about just tech. So I think that's a really important thing. One other kind of reflection 
from myself is as healthcare professionals and maybe as doctors even more, we are always in our encounters with during our work, during our professional life, we're always expected to be the experts, right? Patients most commonly will come to us with a problem and we're expected to have all the knowledge and all the expertise and we apply that kind of linear thinking to, to solve a problem. I had this um, great conversation with um, a designer at a, a UX conference a couple of years ago um, called UX London who worked for Uni, which is like a gas pizza oven company. The reason I mentioned that is because sometimes the most valuable insights come from people or places we like least expect it. <laughs> and this person said that when you as a health professional are approached by someone or go into a conversation, you're expected to have all the answers. However, when I go into a conversation as a designer, I try to leave all my past ideas, experiences, biases at the door I try to go into a conversation as a complete blank slate to take in what this person is saying or be present and actively listen to what their challenges and problems are and work through with them to gather the needs and requirements to design a solution that is able to improve their problem. So I wonder whether there's something around that way of thinking or the way of problem solving yeah. would be super valuable to teach to our healthcare professionals. Yeah, definitely. It's like in the words of Alvin Toffler, he said the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. And so it's exactly that. Why do you think us medics, us health professionals, we're stuck in our ways? We can't do that where we can't leave our past experiences behind and we always have to go into a situation trying to have all the knowledge and all the facts uh, and all the answers. Yeah, really good question. It's This is probably deep-rooted. We probably have a legacy culture. People always talk about legacy tech, but I wonder whether there's a, a legacy culture where we have historically always been expected to know everything and be these individuals in society that are looked uh, positively towards, which is, is all great and all the rest of it. I wonder whether that's slightly changing anyway these days, but I think there is perhaps a degree of humility that we need to try to instill amongst ourselves to say that, yes, we might be experts at being a cardiologist or being a junior doctor or whatever, but I'm not an expert in digital transformation. However, I'm happy to contribute my clinical knowledge and expertise and appreciate why someone who is a a change manager is good at what they're doing. And I think that there is this kind of disconnect, certainly in in my experience, I've seen healthcare professionals not engage with change programs or, or electronic health record implementations because they think, oh, someone is coming to tell me how to do my job kind of thing. Whereas we need to be a little bit more open-minded and say, or or reflect upon ourselves and say, we are experts at our work and how can we explain that to someone so they can make our lives better? Because that's what, like I said, everybody wants to do. People want to contribute to healthcare. People that are in management or people that are in tech and around the healthcare sector want want to contribute positively. So how can we communicate better across these disciplines? So I wonder whether we you know, can do with a, an opportunity to reflect and, and find some more humility amongst our culture to be able to be more open-minded and, and change. And for me, that's been a journey, right? That's not happened overnight. Like I said at the start, I was very much in that kind of hospital, clinical mindset. And I'm all the better for it today to be able to think differently, to be able to be more open-minded, to be able to therefore make change at a much wider scale. And in terms of overcoming limitations, 
I love the quote by Karl Marx, and he said that the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however, is to change it. So my question to you is, do you think the world of digital health, specifically around education, is stuck in a phase of interpretation? Yeah, great question. Probably globally, yes. However, there are pockets of people doing really cool and forward-thinking stuff. For example, I know we talked about electronic patient records before. Up here in Manchester, I know there's a, a great group that's working on developing a like a dummy environment for an electronic patient record so that medical students with like synthetic data, so data that's been created through machine learning algorithms from real world data and then translated into non-identifiable, non-real, i.e. synthetic data to be able to experiment with electronic patient records and allow healthcare professionals to, to use, sorry, people that are still in medical school or nursing school to be able to use these systems as part of their education. So there are all these examples where people are doing really forward thinking stuff. One of the big limitations that I see is that is the ability to scale that. So how do we get a degree of uniformity across medical schools or across nursing schools or other healthcare professional, other healthcare professional educational institutions where we say, this is like a minimal standard. And I wonder whether this just sparked a thought in my mind that there have been uh, organizations, for example, the Faculty of Clinical Informatics published a core competency framework a couple of years ago. So I wonder whether maybe that's a, a good place to start to think about, okay, what are the digital literacy skills that we're hoping our healthcare professionals come out with when they finish their respective degrees? And should medical schools, for example, be held accountable to a minimum standard that this is these are the core competencies and this is what you have to deliver against? So having something like the FCI or the Royal Colleges or the Foundation Programme be able to set some kind of mandate would be a great place to start. That's super interesting, actually, because the review did put forward a recommendation which was around making digital skills a core part of the curriculum and hence being a core part of the curriculum you'd be examined on it and you'd be made sure that you are competent before obviously uh, becoming a doctor and so how likely do you think that is how likely do you think that they will implement that because as we know the medical curriculum is already super jam-packed and they struggle to fit more in and so do you see that happening where they're fitting a whole new module around digital literacy and the just digital skills that are required by doctors to be competent in on the wards? 100%. It is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. I'd love for it to be sooner rather than later, but I cannot see a world in which this does not happen. Because as we've already said, it is health IT and technology is just complete part of healthcare delivery. And with every minute that passes, that becomes more the case. The fact that they're slow to adopt it or resistant to change are all very frustrating. And we should all try to do what we can to push the agenda forward. But it has to happen. And I'm sure that's inevitable. Um, I don't know whether I'm uh, optimistic or blind fool, but uh, that's the only way. I, I can't see any other way, really. Yeah. I, I think it will happen eventually, but then by the time it happens, I don't know if there's going to be a new way of doing things and then we're going to be... <laughs> you might be retired. Okay. We're going to be, yeah, yeah, exactly, doing catch-up again. And I guess to, to wrap up this podcast episode over there, maybe share your vision of the future of the NHS. It's a sore, touchy subject at the moment, but maybe specifically around this digital era, health informatics and in general, health technology. 
Yeah, cool. Thanks. As I said, I'm not originally from the UK. I'm, I'm from the Netherlands, but a big part of the reason why I decided to stay here was the NHS. I love the concept of the NHS. I love how frictionless it is for um, users of the NHS, and which is a big part of the reason why I continue to, to work here. And I'm a massive advocate for it. I think one of the the main challenges that I see going forward around health technology is I think we've, we're probably not bad at innovating in the NHS. Could be better, of course, but we're not bad. There is various programs, funding, etc. perhaps less than the last couple of years, but certainly, again, COVID demonstrated that, how we were able to transform quite well at, at scale. But we do lots of innovation at small scale. So there's lots of tech companies, lots of university projects that do pilots, right? I think the joke that everybody hears is that the NHS got more pilots than BA or whatever, right? So <laughs> there's like lots of pilots going on everywhere. And I'd love to be able to, I'd love to see a transformation. We go from pilots to populations is the phrase that I use, whatever you want to call it, where when we see an innovation that does work, that is effective, that reduces the overall cost to the NHS whilst improving care and outcomes, how do we scale this? How do we scale this rapidly? And that's, I think, one thing that we massively miss out on. And the reason I think that's really important is because we are in a financially challenged place. So we need to try to think about how do we bring the overall cost of healthcare down? And people talk about innovation being one of the key ways in which we're going to bring healthcare costs down, we think it's make more efficient, we improve patient outcomes, be more preventative, and that's going to bring down the overall cost of healthcare. But that return of investment in innovation is only going to happen if we're able to scale things. If we continue to have lots of innovation that we invest in that does not bring a return to the overall spend in healthcare, then we're just going to continue to spend more and more without really bringing back the benefits of that. So I'd love for decision makers and leaders to think about how do we identify successful technology solutions and scale those so that we can start to see that return on investment and start to see the overall cost of healthcare coming down so that we can start to improve outcomes for patients and populations. That is a fantastic point. Today has been a pleasure having you and I'm hoping I'll see you again at a conference sometime soon. Perfect. Thanks so much. Great to see you.